Wednesday, September the 1st, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, the Taliban take over Kabul's airport and Evergrande in trouble. First, the world in brief. President Joe Biden defended America's chaotic evacuation from Afghanistan, calling it a, quote, extraordinary success in a speech at the White House. Terrorist threats had, quote, metastasized beyond Afghanistan, he said, requiring America to shift focus 20 years after its initial invasion. Earlier, the Taliban celebrated their triumph at Kabul's airport. The militant group was reportedly in discussions with Qatar and Turkey over the airport's management to allow commercial flights to resume. Syrian government forces backed by pro-Iranian militias escalated an offensive against a rebel enclave within the southern western province of Daraa. Daraa al-Balad has been under siege for two months. Amnesty International has warned that 20,000 people are living in dire conditions. After years of civil war, Bashar al-Assad's regime now controls much of Syria, but pockets of resistance remain. Evergrande, a heavily indebted Chinese property developer, admitted it could default on its loans. Reporting a 10.5 billion yuan, $1.6 billion half-year profit, down 29% on the same period in 2020, it said that some building projects have been suspended. Evergrande's debt stands at 572 billion yuan. Defaults in China's onshore bond market have become a worry. The government is less willing to prop up huge but struggling firms. Stock market indices in America had a healthy August. The S&P 500 recorded its seventh consecutive monthly rise, up 2.9%, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed 1.2% and the Nasdaq Composite 4%. Investors shrugged off a surge in COVID-19 cases and remained confident that the Federal Reserve will keep interest rates low. Republican state legislators in Texas passed a package of voting restrictions over Democratic objections, breaking a six-week stalemate. The bill limits voting hours and drive through polling stations, among other measures. Democrats allege that it will depress turnout among minorities, who tend to vote Democrat. The governor is expected to sign it into law. Annual inflation in the eurozone rose from 2.2% in July to 3% in August, the highest rate in almost a decade. Energy prices increased sharply by 15.4%. Industrial goods and food prices rose too. Soaring prices have put pressure on the European Central Bank, which expects inflation to ease early next year to slow its pace of bond buying. South Korea's parliament approved a bill banning big app store operators from insisting that software developers use their own payment systems in transactions with customers. The law, the first of its kind in the world, will hit the likes of Google and Apple, which charge commissions up to 30% on apps and in-app purchases. And fact of the day, $4 trillion. Assets the Fed has bought during the pandemic, equivalent to 18% of GDP, dwarfing the scale of its actions after the global financial crisis. And now here's today's agenda. Whom do you trust? America and Ukraine. When Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, meets his American counterpart in Washington today, much of the talk will be about Russia. Ukraine has been under Russian attack and partial occupation for the past seven years. 
Mr. Zelensky will thank Joe Biden for America's supply of military equipment and its economic assistance. Mr. Biden will praise Ukraine's staunch defense of its independence. But these niceties will hide the growing anxiety about America's commitment to its ally. Following America's withdrawal from Afghanistan, Mr. Zelensky will be looking for reassurances that America will not walk away from Ukraine. America's decision not to impose sanctions on Nord Stream 2, the gas pipeline connecting Russia and Europe that Ukraine objects to, does not bode well for Mr. Zelensky. But Mr. Biden is alert to the vulnerabilities of the former Soviet Republic and will be particularly keen to hear of tangible results from Mr. Zelensky's fight against corruption. Success in Ukraine is crucial to pushing back against the Kremlin's aggression. Bounty Hunting Texas's Abortion Law A draconian abortion restriction takes effect today in the Lone Star State. It outlaws the procedure once a fetal heartbeat is detected, about six weeks into pregnancy, before many women even know they are pregnant. Medical providers reckon that at least 85% of patients in Texas will lose access to care and be forced to travel elsewhere if they can afford it. The ban violates Roe v. Wade, a Supreme Court precedent allowing abortions before about 22 weeks. What differentiates it from other restrictions is that it leaves enforcement to ordinary people, not the state. Any person may sue another who has, quote, aided and abetted an abortion and claim, quote, damages of $10,000. That has made it difficult to challenge the law preemptively, since it is not obvious whom to sue. On Monday, abortion providers asked the Supreme Court to block it to no avail. Further legal challenges surely await. The morning after. Alberto Fernandez's troublesome party. Argentina's president will not be in the mood for partying today. Instead, Mr. Fernandez awaits a decision from prosecutors about whether they will drop charges filed against him for breaking his own COVID-19 rules. He was rumbled for holding a birthday celebration for his girlfriend at the height of one of the world's harshest lockdowns. The party, held at his official residence in July last year, became a scandal after photos emerged of guests shunning masks and flouting social distancing protocol. Mr. Fernandez apologised and offered to pay a fine. I lament what happened. It won't happen again, he said this month. Now he has filed a 36-page rebuttal seeking to have the charges dismissed, arguing that no guests were infected or subsequently had the virus. The furore comes as Argentina prepares to hold primaries on September 12th for the midterm elections, with the president's approval at an all-time low. Now that's a bad hangover. Storing up concerns. China's data security law. Collecting, storing and sharing data in China is about to get more complicated. From today, a new data security law comes into force. The rules are already proving to be a headache to interpret. They include new categories of data ranked by importance, including the novel concept of, quote, national core data, the mishandling of which will merit a fine of up to 10 million yuan, $1.6 million, and the threat of revoking a company's right to do business in China. Quote, national core data will include information on national security or financial implications, but the specifics are unclear. As with Hong Kong's national security law, which came into force last year, 
the vagueness may be a useful tool for the Chinese government. Fearful of violating loosely defined restrictions, companies will err on the side of caution. Few want their data to irk the Chinese Communist Party. Facts on the ground Japan's new digital agency Japan's officialdom is notoriously analogue. As of 2019, just 7.5% of nearly 56,000 national government processes could be completed online. Stepping into the digital age could help boost GDP per person by 1%, researchers reckon. But bureaucrats' resistance to change runs deep. When the government of Suga Yoshihide, full of digitising zeal, recently tried to deprive officials of their beloved fax machines, rebellion ensued. All the same, Mr Suga's efforts to modernise Japan's public services reach an important milestone today with the launch of a new digital agency. Its mission is to digitise administrative procedures and overhaul wasteful procurement practices. In theory, it can even boss around Japan's mighty ministries. Institutionalising Mr Suga's digital push may also insulate it somewhat from fluctuations in its popularity, plummeting as COVID-19 infections surge. Nonetheless, change tends to come slowly in Japan, even at the best of times. Fax machine salesmen will not be fretting quite yet. Summer Quiz Week 7 Fancy another chance to trounce the baristas in the summer quiz? For Week 7, we'll again serve up a daily question. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm BST on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Wednesday. What is the traditional name for an arrow maker? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Lillian Wald who died on this day in 1940. The task of organising human happiness needs the active cooperation of man and woman. It cannot be relegated to one half of the world. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.